Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we read in the Bible that the Lord is the one who gives us physical life. The reason we are here, the reason we are alive and breathing is because it is God who has made us to live and it is God who keeps us alive. We are completely dependent on God for our physical lives. But that doesn't mean we do without food and water. That doesn't mean we can do without those things, can we, children? Fact is, if you want to live and if you want to grow, you need food and water. That doesn't mean that you're not completely dependent on God. No, He's the one who also gives the food and water and who uses it to, to give us life and to keep us alive and to make us to grow. Well, it's really no different congregation when it comes to spiritual life. Yes, also when it comes to faith. The past couple of weeks, we've seen how the Bible teaches us that we are justified We are declared righteous before God, not by works, but by faith alone. But that means then that we need faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. But faith isn't easy. In fact, faith is impossible, left to ourselves. By nature, we are dead in trespasses and sins. We need spiritual life. And even after initial conversion, even after we have by grace trusted in Christ for the first time, faith remains a struggle. Paul calls faith a fight. We can struggle, can't we, with doubt and unbelief. So the question is important then, where does faith, where does spiritual life come from? Well, the Bible tells us it comes from God. He gives spiritual life. He gives faith. It is the Lord who by His Holy Spirit makes us alive and enables us and causes us to believe in Jesus Christ. We see that in places like John 3 and Ephesians 2. We didn't read those. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but they very clearly teach that our salvation, including faith itself, is entirely a gift of God by His Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, we read it some weeks ago. It tells us that it is the Spirit of God that causes us to know, not just intellectually up here in our heads, but experientially in our hearts. It's the Spirit of God that causes us to know the things that are freely given to us of God. This is why then in Lord's Day 25 of the Catechism, which we read earlier, we confess that faith proceeds or comes from the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts really illustrates this over and over again. Think just of what we read in Acts chapter 16 with with Lydia. What does verse 14 say about her? How, How did she come to believe in Jesus? How did she come to attend unto, to heed the gospel Acts 16, verse 14 says it very clearly. The Lord opened her heart. 
The Lord opened her heart that she attended unto, that she heeded the things which were spoken by Paul. The Bible is very clear, congregation. We are completely dependent upon God for our spiritual lives. Yes, for faith itself. But that raises the question then. How does he give faith? Is there some sort of spiritual food and water, as it were, that he gives and that he uses to work and to strengthen saving faith? Yes, there is. The food and water that the Spirit gives and uses to work and strengthen saving faith is very simply the gospel. The gospel. That's what Romans 10 makes clear. Verse 17, which I listed in our bulletin as the text for this afternoon. Verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the word of God here, congregation, is just another name for the gospel, as the verses before make clear. The point is that it is by the gospel that the Holy Spirit works and strengthens faith. And with God's help, it is that truth and the implications of it that we hope to consider from Scripture in light of the Bible-based teaching of Lord's Day 25. So our theme is how the Holy Spirit works and strengthens faith. We'll see, first of all, that he uses gospel preaching. Secondly, that he, use, he gives two gospel illustrations. And thirdly, that he underscores the one gospel message. The Holy Spirit works and strengthens faith by the gospel. And the first thing to note in that connection is that he uses gospel preaching. It is by the preaching or the proclamation of the gospel, of the word of God, that he works and strengthens faith. The Bible uh, makes that clear. We already mentioned Romans 10 verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In the context that refers especially to the preaching of the gospel. If you go back, back up a couple of verses to verses 14 and, and 15, back in verse 13, Paul stated that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then he begins a series of questions in verse 14. And the first question is this, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? You see what he's saying? He's saying to call on the name of the Lord, you need to believe in him. You need to trust in Him. But what do you need in order to believe in Him? You need to hear about Him. That's what Paul says in the next question. How shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? We all understand that, don't we? You cannot trust in someone you've never heard of. It's impossible. But then notice what, what Paul says next. He says this at the end of verse 14. And how shall they hear without a what? without a preacher. And how shall they preach, he goes on, except they be sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Well, what is this telling us, beloved? What is this telling us? It's telling us that the Holy Spirit uses gospel preaching to work and strengthen faith. That's what he has chosen to use. That's what he's pleased to use. He used it already in the beginning, didn't he? The very moment almost Adam and Eve fell into sin, God came down and he what? He proclaimed, he preached the gospel. He proclaimed the promise of the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, that would come to bruise and crush Satan's head. He used it. 
He used preaching with his people Israel as he sent them prophet after prophet after prophet to proclaim to them the good news of the coming Christ. He used it with John the Baptist as he heralded the the coming of Christ and went before him. He used it with Christ himself. The preaching of the gospel is what the Holy Spirit is pleased to use to work and strengthen faith. That's why Christ commanded his apostles In Mark 16, verse 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's why in Luke 24, verse 47, the Lord Jesus tells his apostles that repentance and remission, forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name among all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Because Paul says, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21, that it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And we see this happening over and over again in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts. Think about Acts 2. How did 3,000 people come to faith at Pentecost? By Peter preaching the word, proclaiming the gospel. Or think about Acts chapter 8. How did the people in the city of Samaria come to faith? How did the Ethiopian eunuch come to faith in Christ? By Philip preaching Christ. You could go on. Think about Acts 10. How did Cornelius and his household come to faith? By Peter speaking the word of the gospel. What about later in Acts 11? How did a great number of people in Antioch believe and turn unto the Lord? By the hand of the Lord being with men who preached the Lord Jesus to them. And then, of course, you think about Paul. How did all those people in the different cities that Paul and his helpers visited on their missionary journeys, how did they come to faith? And how did they grow in faith? Over and over again, congregation, we're told it was through the speaking of the word of the Lord, through the preaching of the gospel, through the proclamation of Jesus Christ. That's what he used. That's what he used then. And it's the same today. What did Paul charge Timothy to do in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2? Paul was preparing to die. He's preparing to die. And he gave Timothy a charge. What was that charge? He didn't charge him simply to read the word as good and important as that is. But he charged him to preach the word. Now, that's not to say the Spirit does not or that he cannot use the reading of God's Word. Yes, he can, and he does. But the biblical pattern, as I've just tried to show here, shows us that he makes, as to borrow from another catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism 89, he makes, yes, the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. You see, the preaching of the gospel is the Holy Spirit's chosen means to work and strengthen faith. Oh then, how we should love and appreciate the preaching of the gospel. How thankful we should be to the Lord for all the times that we've heard gospel preaching. 
How glad and how eager and how full of zeal we should be to listen to the preaching of the gospel. Yes, and how much too we should be in prayer and pray for the Lord to use that preaching to work and to strengthen faith in our lives, in the lives of our children and in the lives of our fellow churchgoers and, and even through us then to, to, in the lives of others around us. Because the power, you see, we need to pray because the power is not in the preaching. It's not in the preacher. It's in the Holy Spirit using and strengthening or using and blessing it. Do these kinds of things describe us? Do we we realize what a gift, what a blessing it is to hear the preaching of the gospel? Do we listen to it eagerly and prayerfully? And do we realize what a terrible, what a fearful thing it is to despise gospel preaching. Do you realize that God could come in judgment? And he could come in judgment and he could cause a famine. He could cause a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. The Bible tells us he can do that. In Amos 8 verse 11, the Lord warns Israel who were consumed with earthly riches and, and, and not at all interested in the word of God. They went through the formalities of religion, but they weren't interested in listening to the word of God. He warns them that he will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. What an awful, awful judgment to experience a famine of the very thing which God has chosen to use for the salvation of sinners. Don't just think, don't think that's just an Old Testament judgment. It can happen today. It can happen. It happens it happens in the New Testament when the people of Nazareth, they, they rejected the preaching of Christ. What did Christ do? He left and we never read anywhere that he came back. In Revelation 2, verse 5, Christ rebukes the church of Ephesus for having left their first love. Their love for Christ had had grown cold. They they did not have the passion and the zeal that they used to have. And, And he warns them that unless they repent of that, he will come quickly and remove their candlestick, meaning he will remove his word, he will remove his spirit and the preaching of the gospel. It can happen. It can happen to us, congregation. Don't despise the preaching of the gospel. Gospel preaching is the Spirit's chosen means to work and strengthen faith. It's His essential means, really. Romans 10, again, makes that so clear. It is by the preaching, by the proclamation of the Word of God that people hear and they trust in Jesus Christ and they receive His salvation. Gospel preaching is essential in order to have saving faith. According to Romans 10, in order to have saving faith in Jesus Christ, in order to persevere and to grow in faith, we must have the preaching of the gospel. It's what we need. It's what our children need. It's what our world needs. It's what everyone, everyone needs. That means, beloved, that we must not only appreciate and value the preaching of the gospel, but we must also protect it and preserve it and promote it wherever we can. And this is extremely relevant in our world today, congregation, because gospel preaching, you see, isn't popular in our world. It isn't cool. Never has been. But it can be tempting to think that 
that, that we need to have maybe less preaching and, and maybe some more music, more, more entertainment, more whatever. But, but in light of our text, we cannot say that, congregation. No. Of course, of course, worship is not all about preaching. When we come together as a church, yes, singing is good. All of that is good and all of that's important. But Spurgeon was right on when he said, we know that souls are not to be won by music. Our hope of success lies under God in the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel, you see, is the Spirit's essential means for the working and strengthening of our faith. We must not lose it. That means then that we must not be silent. We must proclaim the gospel. And congregation, that is the calling of all of us. I know in the catechism, the focus is on the, the, the official means of grace. But I, don't want to, I, I want to mention this point here. In the official ministry of the church, yes, only men whom God calls through His church may preach. But when we are Christians, we are not only called, but we are also empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of Christ, not just by our lives, but also by our words. And so we must proclaim the gospel in our daily lives. Just like it says in Acts 8 verse 4. I don't know if you've ever noticed that verse before. It, it, it tells how the Christians who were not apostles, so Church members, really. They, they, they had to scatter because of the persecution in Jerusalem. And as they scattered, they went about everywhere preaching the word. Are we proclaiming the gospel in our homes and wherever God gives us opportunity? We must not lose. We must not be silent. But the church also needs men who are called officially by God through his church, to be preachers. I don't know, maybe there's a man, younger perhaps, or older even, whom God is calling, a man here this afternoon, whom God is calling to be a preacher of the gospel. You know, if we want to see souls won for Jesus Christ, shouldn't we pray for that more? Also, as a congregation, and I speak to myself as much as to anyone, shouldn't we pray often that God would call more men also out of our own midst, to preach the gospel wherever he sends them. Don't you remember? Do you remember what Christ said? The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Why? Because that's how the Holy Spirit works and strengthens faith. He works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. But maybe you say, I do listen to gospel preaching, but I still struggle. I still struggle with faith. I still struggle against unbelief. I still struggle against doubt. How, how can I be more sure? How can I be strengthened in my faith? Well, that brings us to our second point. You see, the Holy Spirit not only uses gospel preaching to work and strengthen faith, He also gives two gospel illustrations to strengthen faith. That's what the sacraments are, really. They're gospel illustrations. In the words of Answer 66 in the Catechism, they are holy, visible signs and seals. We read about one of them in Acts 16. After Lydia believed, she and her household were baptized. 
Baptism is one of these gospel illustrations. Christ commanded baptism for his church until the end of the world in Matthew 28. The other illustration, of course, is the Lord's Supper, which Christ instituted when he was with his disciples on the night of his arrest. We read about that in the Gospels, of course, and, but that wasn't just to be a one-time event, but as Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians 11, it is something the church is to practice regularly until Christ comes again. So baptism and the Lord's Supper are the Gospel illustrations that the Lord has instituted and given to His New Testament church for the strengthening of faith. Now, Lord willing, we're going to zero in on each of these sacraments Uh, these two sacraments or gospel illustrations in more detail in the coming weeks. But, But the point we want to focus on today is that the Holy Spirit, simply this, the Holy Spirit gives these two illustrations so that by their use, He might strengthen our faith. You say, how? How, how? how do these illustrations do that? Well, for one, they picture for us the gospel. They picture for us the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And just a, by the way, as we confess in answer 68, they are the only two sacraments, the only two pictures that God has given and authorized gospel pictures, which is one reason why as Reformed churches we don't have or promote images or pictures or movies of Jesus because God has given His people two, only two gospel pictures, gospel illustrations, baptism and the Lord's Supper. There's more reasons, but that's just one of them. Maybe you're wondering, how do these two sacraments illustrate? How do they picture the gospel? Well, children, what happens when someone is baptized? What happens when someone is baptized? Water is put on them. And that's, what is water a picture of? What does water do? Well, water cleanses, doesn't it? It's a picture of cleansing. When you are dirty, you use water to to wash away the dirt. And so when water is put on someone in baptism, it signifies, it's a picture of what the Bible tells us Christ does by His blood for every sinner who comes to Him in faith. He washes their sins away. He cleanses them from all sin. And so baptism is a picture of the gospel. That's why often you, you, when you read also in in the book of Acts, you read something like, be baptized and wash away your sins. Because they're, they're so connected. Baptism is a picture of that. And, and so also is the Lord's Supper a picture of the gospel. What does Christ say the broken bread and, and the poured out wine uh, are a picture of, children? What, what are they a picture of? They're, they're a picture of His broken body. For all, his body that was broken for all His people. For all who are looking to Him in faith. And the wine is a picture of His blood that was shed for those very same people. It's a picture. The Lord's Supper is a picture, you see, of His death to save sinners. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. And then eating the bread and drinking the wine is is a picture of the fellowship, of the union with Christ that believers have by faith in him. So the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, they picture the gospel for us. And the Holy Spirit uses those pictures that he gives us to help us understand more fully, to better grasp what he's telling us in his word, what he's telling us in the preaching of the gospel. 
In the words of answer 66, again, the, the sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof, he may the more fully declare, the more, the, the more fully declare the promise of the gospel. Children, it's like a, a storybook, a little bit like a storybook with pictures. You maybe have lots of storybooks at home. You maybe have chapter books with pictures in them. Well, what do the pictures do? They don't add anything to the story, do they? They illustrate the story. They make it easier to understand the story. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing with baptism and the Lord's Supper. He's illustrating for us the true story of the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ to help us better understand what God has done and what he does do for his people. And, and by doing that, he's seeking to confirm and to strengthen faith in his people. And we need that. We need that. Because we all struggle. As believers, we struggle in faith. We struggle with doubt and temptation. We struggle against unbelief. Maybe not intellectual unbelief, all the time, but, but practical unbelief in the way we live. We struggle. We struggle against our, our natural tendency to think that we can and we must make ourselves righteous before God somehow. And, and so God, in his mercy, you see, he gives us these gospel illustrations to more fully declare to us the promise of the gospel and to help us understand it better so that our faith in Christ alone for salvation, the faith that he has worked in us, that he has begun that good work, that he has begun in us by the preaching of the gospel might be further strengthened. Do you see what a gracious God we have? Mindful of our human frailty is the God in whom we trust. But by the use of baptism and the Lord's Supper, these gospel pictures, the Lord, by His Holy Spirit, doesn't just more fully declare to us the gospel promise. He also seals it. He seals it. Now that's what God did with the sign of circumcision in the Old Testament. Romans 4, verse 11, tells us that Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had. Well, what is a seal? We use this language and, and sometimes it can, we can use it all the time and, and we don't really stop and think about what it is. What, what is a seal? Well, a seal is something that officially marks and, 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 and confirms that something is for real, that something is for sure. You can think of a, a, a government seal, for example, on, a, on maybe a birth certificate or a, a marriage certificate. The seal confirms that the birth certificate is real, that it is true, that it is trustworthy. It's not forged. It's not made up. Or, or, or maybe a different example. Think of, think of the rainbow that God put in the sky after Noah's flood. The rainbow is a seal that confirms that God's promise never to flood the whole earth again is real, and it is true, and it is trustworthy. That's, that's what baptism and the Lord's Supper are. There's seals, seals that confirm God's gospel promise, namely to use the words of answer 66. The promise that he grants us freely the remission, the forgiveness of sin and life eternal for, for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished 
on the cross. Baptism, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper confirm that that promise is real and it is true and it is trustworthy. What gracious gifts, what gracious gifts these two sacraments, these gospel illustrations are. How kind the Lord is to his people. How much he cares for us, for his church. Oh, oh, congregation, then let us make sure that we do not despise those gifts. Don't despise those gifts. But treasure them. Make proper use of them. Because it is by their use, it is by the use of these two gospel illustrations that he gives that the Holy Spirit confirms and strengthens faith. Let us also remember, congregation, that the preaching of the gospel, that's primary. That's foundational. The sacraments are simply gospel illustrations. They don't tell us anything different. They don't tell us anything new. They don't tell us anything besides what the gospel, the preaching of, what is told us in the preaching of the gospel. But maybe you're wondering then, what is it, what is it exactly? What is it exactly that both God's word and the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper are saying. Well, that brings us to our third point. We've seen that the Holy Spirit works and strengthens faith by using gospel preaching and by giving two gospel illustrations. But, but what is his, his overall purpose with these things, with, with the Word and the sacraments? It's this, to underscore the one gospel message. That's what he's doing with both the Word and the, pre, the preaching of the gospel and the sacraments. He's underscoring that gospel message, the message that all our salvation, all our righteousness is in Jesus Christ alone. That's Paul's point. Earlier in, in Romans 10, in verse 4, it's really his, his point in all of, of Romans. But in Romans 10, verse 4, he says it again, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. You see what he's saying? He's saying we cannot be righteous any other before God any other way than in and through Christ alone. And that is the message that the preaching of the gospel, that is the message that baptism and the Lord's Supper underscore. As we also see from question and answer 67, where the question is this, are both word and sacraments then ordained and appointed for this end that they may direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? The answer is yes, indeed. For the Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that the whole of our salvation depends upon that one sacrifice of Christ which he offered for us on the cross. That's how he works and strengthens faith congregation. That's how he directs, where he directs our faith. To Christ, the one sacrifice of Christ which he offered for us on the cross. That is, that is the only foundation the only foundation for our salvation. And this is what we've talked about the last couple of weeks, isn't it? The ground and foundation 
of our salvation is all Christ. It's not our works. It can't be our works. It's not even our faith. It can't be our faith. It's Christ. It's all Christ and His sacrifice on the cross. He and He alone has satisfied fully the justice of God in the place of sinners. That's why Paul preached Christ and Him crucified because that is the only ground of our salvation. And that is what the Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel. Have you been taught it? Have you been taught it? Where is your faith directed to? What are you resting on? There is only one solid rock, congregation. And that rock is Jesus Christ and his blood and righteousness. All other ground is sinking sand. And so the call comes again today. Rest on Christ and him alone for all your salvation. Believe in him, trust in him, and you shall be saved. But I struggle to do that, you see. I struggle with self-reliance. Yes, dear fellow struggling believer, we all do. We all do. That's why we need the preaching of the gospel. And that's why God has also given baptism and the Lord's Supper. He did not give them for super saints. He gave them for weak and struggling saints. To assure them that Christ has done it all. He has finished the work. That's the one gospel message he's underscoring with both word and sacrament so that we might rest and we might keep resting again and again on Christ alone. What a blessed Savior God we have. The Holy Spirit works and strengthens saving faith by the gospel. That is a spiritual food and water that he gives and he uses. He uses gospel preaching. He gives two gospel illustrations. And with both, he underscores the one gospel message. So congregation, let's prize and let's love and let's hear and protect and promote the preaching of the gospel. Let's treasure the sacraments and use them properly. And let's pray, let's pray that the Holy Spirit uses these means. That by them, by the foolishness of preaching, by the food and water of the gospel, he would work and strengthen faith in the hearts of many of us. Yes, could it be all of us. His arm is not shortened, that it cannot save. Oh, let us thank God for the Holy Spirit and the gospel he uses to work and strengthen saving faith. Amen.